0: Welcome to the Bringing Intimacy Back show, where intimacy is
1: real. Welcome today, yes, and I want to um, let you guys know that Dr. Kelly, um, she's so sorry that she can't be here, but she's doing her special work um, where she specializes in helping Native Americans and the struggles they have. Um, and she also covered a lot for me last week, if you notice, I didn't talk much because I was a little sick, So, but she'll be back with us next week. Anyway, so as we start off today's show, today's show, I want to let you guys know it's a topic that um, many couples ask me about. Something that we I deal with, as you guys know, I deal a lot with intimacy. And so, what many times people ask, in the sense of couples, is sometimes it's something um, when they feel like their partner is struggling um, with a variety of stuff. Sometimes people ask, and even Individuals, when it comes to sex, can sex addiction actually be a problem? And of course it is. And it is also an intimacy problem. So today's topic is sexual addiction is an intimacy problem. I have a fantastic guest that I'm going to talk to you about that's going to come on and give us a lot of information. But before I get started, I want to let my audience know that, you know, I'm about to release my second ebook, which I'm so excited about as you know the first one is improving intimacy self-spirit and spouse and it's on amazon which is great and so now i have another ebook because as we go we're going to go deeper and deeper then this one is about self-intimacy it's about you so please check those things out as now we're in july 1st and as you know every month we focus on a charity And the charity that we're focusing on this month, it's called the American Art Therapy. And they heal people through art. I love art. And so definitely go ahead and check them out. They have um, access to a variety of art therapists. Um, They provide education for people going into art therapy, but also therapy services for people who are struggling. So visit members.arttherapy.org slash donate now. All right, let me talk to you about our presenter today, our guest. Um, Welcome, Matthew Winger. Welcome, Matthew.
2: Hey. Well, thanks for having me.
1: Oh, thank you. So Matthew specializes in addiction to pornography and sexual behavior. Um, He's worked with, of course, of, you know, non-Christians and Christians, because it's, you know, um, Mm -hmm. we're all in all faith and practices. He's actually the clinical director at a sexual addiction se- treatment center, and it's called Begin Again Institute. Yeah. And the great thing about them is they are uh, working on introducing and utilizing a new focus called trauma-induced sex addiction.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Welcome, Matthew.
2: Yeah, thank you. Yes. Yes.
1: yes. Um, so the first thing that we really talk about on this show, because it's called bringing intimacy back, sure. is intimacy. So as I um, get to know you and we talk about it, what is your definition of intimacy?
2: Yeah, we say that intimacy is vulnerability plus authenticity, um, which is the definition that that uh, most of our clients, which are men, um, really struggle with both being vulnerable about their own emotions and their own um, fears, th- even their needs, and then authenticity of the, the ability to be yourself in the present in that moment. And we believe that vulnerability plus authenticity brings emotional intimacy.
1: Oh, definitely. Yes. Um, That terminology um the main one that we're talking about today is sexual addiction. Mm -hmm. And many times individuals have no, they're like, do I have a sexual addiction? Do I not? What is your definition of that as we get started?
2: Sure. So there's obviously a lot of definitions out there of sexual addiction. I like to keep it simple. So if you're struggling with uh, sex or sexual behavior, such as pornography or compulsive masturbation or something, thing like that um there are kind of three um things to look for right so um is there compulsivity so do i feel like i need to do it um or do i find myself wanting to do it in circumstances where i otherwise wouldn't where am i going out of my way to do it when i otherwise wouldn't right so do i have a level of compulsivity where i feel like i i need to the second piece is, is it escalating in my life? Do I feel like I need to do more um, to uh, get the same result? So what I used to spend 30 minutes doing this. Now I'm spending three hours. I used to be like once a uh, once-a-week thing. Now it's many days a week or every day or multiple times a day, right? So is it escalating? And then the third piece is, is it continuing in spite of felt consequence? So I'm starting to perceive that there are some negative effects to my compulsive and escalating sexual behaviors. But despite those consequences, I I don't or I can't stop. So those three areas um, are ones to kind of hone in on and see, well, is this actually uh, maybe an addiction for me or, or someone close to me?
1: Okay. And just to clarify in that, um, starting with your first one of being compulsive, you said it's need versus want.
2: Yeah. 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 So if
1: you want to do it, it's an addiction versus you need to do it. Or if you need to do it, it's an addiction versus you want to do it.
2: Sure. And it's kind of a, it's kind of a both end, right? So we believe that sex addiction arises to regulate an unregulated nervous system, right? The stress, anxiety, fear, fight or flight, or freeze right those kind of um, survival responses in order to regulate those responses sexual addiction has arisen in people to help them cope with those extreme responses in in um, uh, those traumatic responses which i'm sure we'll talk about um so um you know i I forgot, I, I forgot your question. Just, you <laughs>
1: okay, just give it to okay.
2: me one more time. That's okay.
1: Oh. Um, is the need versus want. In the oh, document? right,
2: right, right. Okay. So um, all of those regulatory type behaviors and regulatory behaviors can be almost anything like eating pizza or going on a bike ride or whatever. But um, regulatory behaviors are things that help us get back to level. And um, all addictions originally started out as regulatory behaviors, things that we just did to try to feel safe to try to just feel okay. But it's an addiction where, when it becomes something that I, I need, mm-hmm. now it moved from a want into a need. So the behavior used to be something that I wanted to do, now I need to do it right. to feel safe, to feel normal, to feel level.
1: Right, right. Which is a great thing for people to understand because sometimes people don't understand how um, a natural function can be an addiction, you know, oh, right. eating and all that kind of stuff, yes.
2: Sure. And I think there's all sorts of misconceptions around around sexual addiction where, um, well, what's what's wrong with sex? You know, I mean, it's something that people should do it and they should do a lot of it if they want to. And um, why not? You know, Um, but that's really not what we're dealing with.
1: Okay, okay. I know you um, mentioned in your answers a few times the word we. So can you explain to our audience the we? Who do you represent so they can?
2: Sure, I do, do I do do that a lot. Don't I? <laughs> the the we <laughs> represents Begin Again Institute in our Christian program that we have underneath Begin Again Institute Boulder Recovery. Um so uh, like you said I, I'm the clinical director so um I run the program and, and supervise all the the therapists. We were founded by Dr. Michael Barda, the author of Tinsa mm-hmm. and um so, uh, yeah, so when I say we, I say us as a, a treatment program, as an organization, this is how we engage with um, sexual addiction, so.
1: Okay, okay. On your second part of the definition, you talked about um, it's escalating. Yeah. You know, the behaviors escalate. Yes. And so what exactly does that mean in the sense of, um, I'm watching porn now, you know, uh five minutes on a weekend versus now every day and at work and all that kind of stuff.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Escalation just really means I have to do more of the behavior to get the desired chemical response, emotional response that I'm looking for. Um, One of the misconceptions of sexual addiction is that people think that that sex addicts are addicted to the act of, of ejaculation or sex right. but the but the reality is um, they're addicted to dopamine the mm-hmm. dopamine release within the brain so the the you know the pleasure chemical if you want to call it that um, and those um, behaviors early on in their childhood development they realized that those behaviors could bring that pleasure chemical and it could um, calm them down. It could bring them peace, could bring them felt safety, could bring them a release of emotion. And, and and it was working for them. Now it's no longer working for them. It's escalated to the point where I need to do this all of the time to get that same, essentially a hit. And an easy metaphor for this is, is drug addiction. You have to use more and more and higher concentration of substance to get the same effect. And it works the exact same way.
1: Yeah, yeah. I was just thinking to myself, it'd be interesting if the um, DSM 5, which is what we use mm-hmm. as clinicians, had <laughs> it um, as addiction to dopamine, would more people come out and be honest with their addiction versus, mm-hmm. you know, saying, I'm addicted to drugs, I'm addicted to sex, which is like even, you know, people don't yeah. want to admit.
2: You're right. Yeah, there's yeah. a stigma there, unfortunately. And you, you know, there are a lot of bad actors out there that have utilized sex addiction as a try, like a way out from under responsibility for their behaviors, high profile people, um, you know, in our culture. And so sex addiction has, in some ways, accidentally become kind of a joke. But there are millions of people, men and women, that struggle with this across our world um, that are have to utilize tremendous courage to go and get help around it um, because of that stigma. You know, I often say you stand up in a room of people and you say you're, you know, six months sober from alcohol, you're going to get a round of applause. Right. You stand up and say you're six months sober from sex addiction.
1: Everybody's going to move from you. I'm like, yeah. 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 Yes. Yeah. That's the, the sad part of it. Yes. Mm-hmm. And in the third part of your definition, you talked about consequences. You know, um, that you felt, and you use the word felt consequences. Yeah. Yeah. Why is the word felt in there?
2: Well, I think there are consequences that are going on in people's lives around addiction that they don't really feel right away, right? The distance from their family, the numbness that they have to their emotions, the lack of emotional intimacy in their relationships, in their marriages, um, their inability to do their best work at in their career some of these things they don't realize when they're in the middle of addiction but a felt consequences when it arises level of my awareness and it's a big deal like like um my wife coming to me and saying you know what's this right. what's this on your phone uh right. you got it right and get out I, i'm get out get out i don't want to look at you i don't want to talk to you you said you were done with this get your things move out or you know, an affair again, again, I thought we worked through this. I thought we went to counseling, you know, um, uh, getting caught at work, getting caught with stuff on your computer at work and, and, and losing maybe a promotion or an opportunity at work, or maybe even losing your job. You know, these are felt consequences. And when these come into our lives and we still can't change, even though we might want to, we, we still can't change the behavior. Then, uh, then we know that we're dealing with something, Very serious.
1: I was just speaking with one of my um, interns, um, actually today, and he was seeing a woman whose um, husband has been um, on a lot of porn sites, just hooking up with a lot of different people and all that kind of Mm -hmm. stuff. And so, um, and she's just really about to to leave, Mm -hmm. but he doesn't seem to care, or he's not. in the sense of a consequence. Sure. <laughs> and of course, there's alcohol involved in all of this. So does that mean that um, if he doesn't feel it, the consequence, does it mean that it's not an addiction or?
2: No, um, I think determining whether you or somebody has a felt consequences is, is hard. You know, it's hard to do for somebody else. But for them, yeah. it's like, hey, your wife is coming to you. She's threatening to leave you and you and you you don't want to change, then. You know from her point of view yeah this guy likely has some sort of sex addiction. Right. Other people might say hey he's just not kind of a he's not a one woman kind of guy and right. and but um if you were to really sit down with that guy and say hey is this really what you want? Right. You know they might say no. Right. You know if they're being really honest with themselves. But uh, you know the best time to deal with an addiction is when you're ready to change and some people just aren't ready to either admit they have an addiction period or they're not done. We work with guys sometimes who only get one toe into recovery and say, Hey, there's still some stuff out there. I want to try. There's still right. some, some crazy out there. I want to try. And I'm not done with this yet. And other guys just kind of lower their head and rub their face and be like, man, you're going to be me. And you know, they're maybe 20 years older and they say, do you want to be back here in this kind of program 20 years from now? Mm -hmm. this is your this is your chance man and um uh some you know unfortunately that happens from time to time
1: okay all right thank you so much Well, we're going to take a small break and when we come back we're going to go more into about addiction and treatment and how we can help individuals and couples out there who are struggling with this issue we'll be back in a moment
0: are you wanting a vacation in paradise a vacation to rekindle the passion A vacation without the kids. A vacation where you can learn how to communicate. Where you and your partner actually hear each other and gain insight. If so, vacation counseling is your next vacation. Dr. April Brown has created vacation counseling in Southwest Florida as a perfect option for you and your partner. Our retreats are one couple at a time. We have a variety of packages available to choose from, including virtual couples retreats. If you and your partner are interested in the vacation counseling, please visit us at vacationcounseling.com for more information on pricing and packages. Also, follow us on Instagram and Facebook. To keep track of the latest news, stories, activities, or coupons on vacation counseling and Dr. April's other services, we encourage you to sign up to receive a monthly newsletter called Intimate Connections at draprilbrown.com. Remember, if you and your partner are struggling with communication and intimacy, and you all are looking for a retreat to connect, Vacation Counseling can be your next vacation in Southwest Florida.
1: Welcome back to the Bringing Intimacy Show, where intimacy is real. Well, today our topic is sexual in, uh, sexual addiction as an intimacy problem, and we have Matthew Winner here to sit here and talk to us about this. And so, Matt, um, before we go into the treatment, I know sometimes when people are thinking they are, are they're realizing, or their spouse is realizing they have a sexual addiction problem, sometimes the thing is that, like, what kind of trauma, what happened to me to to cause this, Mm
2: -hmm. you know? Yeah.
1: Um, Does it always have to be a trauma or Mm -hmm. what's your thoughts, sir?
2: Yeah. So um, we believe that trauma uh, is at the root of almost all addiction Um, and and specifically sexual addiction. We believe that um, trauma and specifically attachment trauma, Mm -hmm. is at the root of this addiction right where a child was reaching out to get their needs met and they were either abused or dismissed in response right they were verbally or psychologically spiritually emotionally physically sexually abused or they were um their their caregivers had their back to them and they were trying to do whatever they could to get them to turn around um and pay attention to them emotionally. And you would think in a trauma based program, most of our guys are coming from environments where they were, they were physically abused, or there was some sort of sexual trauma. And that's true. Um, we do see a lot of guys that are like that. Um, and I believe there are a lot of sex addicts out there that have endured that kind of trauma, what we might call um, big T trauma, right. Mm-hmm. But actually, like 85% or more of sex addicts, uh, sex addicts that have been surveyed, um, across our country, and, and most of the men that come to our program actually are more in that little t trauma of um, my emotions were not validated at home. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I didn't have a warm connection to my caregivers. They were present, but nobody seemed like they were paying attention to my emotions or my needs or validating me as a person, other than the things that I could do. I was valued for what I could do, how I could perform, but not for who I was and all sorts of instances like that a simple way of looking at it just really simple is kind of what we call hot box and cold box hot box is kid reaches out and gets abused by the parent in some form or fashion or they're getting abused and the parent doesn't pay attention Um, The cold box is kid is reaching out to connect with the parent and the parent is distracted and has their emotional gaze away from the child so that can be a drug addiction Um, you know, their own addictions, their own marriage problems, finances, whatever, whatever it is, it's pulling the gaze of the parent away from the child in both scenarios. That kid has to kind of figure out for himself or herself. How do I deal with my environment? How do I understand who I am? And they walk away with messages like I'm, I'm, I must be bad. There's something wrong with me Mm
0: -hmm.
2: Um, or I don't matter or I'm not valuable. And those messages are at the root of most sexual addiction. So you take that brokenness, right? And then you couple that with an early introduction to maybe a maladaptive sexual behavior mm-hmm. where the kid goes, oh, wow, this this feels good. This, this kind of feels safe. This feels um, good for me. You kind of wind those together. And that's kind of the root of a sexual addiction where I have to take care of myself. And oh, look, here's this thing. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And so, like you said, and with sexual addiction, it's a, so much focusing on self. Mm-hmm. How does it be, relate when it comes to I'm connecting with a significant other or my wife, my husband?
2: Yeah. Um, well, because those messages that, that, that were developed or those little scripts, like uh, that, I have to take care of myself. I guess I have to take care of myself. I guess I have to figure this out right because I, I lived in that box right i lived in this little mold i, I lived in this little br- blueprint of how relationships uh, are supposed to work for me this is how i understand relationships i understand relationships as i reach out for help and support and i get abused and rejected and i get treated badly or i get i reach out for help and support and i get dismissed and invalidated if that's all i knew growing up and i had to take care of myself then accidentally i'm going to you know, think that my romantic relationship is going to operate the same way. Right. And either I look for relationships that mirror those dysfunctions, or I impress those dysfunctions on my, my relationships. Um, because I think, and you probably encounter this all the time, that subconsciously, I think the brain thinks, if I can get a second shot at this, I can do it better. And mm-hmm. so I actually, incidentally replicate my own dysfunctional childhood environment um, in my romantic relationships and then what happens right Right. i can't be intimate with this other person because they don't feel safe to me right because i'm seeing seeing them through the lens of my childhood yeah
1: right exactly yes yeah so um before we get into the treatment part as people are listening and there may be a person out there they're like well. I'm struggling. I'm watching tons of porn or I'm visiting um, strip clubs and I'm spending, you know, a lot of excess money, whatever the case may be, or on sites and spending a lot of excess money. Um, How can they begin to talk to their partner about what's going on?
2: Mm, That's Super hard. Right. Um, If I, if I'm realizing that I'm starting to have a compulsive addiction, usually the, the, the impulse is to hide it. The impulse is going to be to uh, keep it under wraps because what happens if they find out, and then this is the deep seated fear of the people who struggle with sex addiction, because it comes from that attachment trauma. Right. Right. And the, and the fear is if they really knew me, they would reject
1: me and leave me. Yes.
2: Yes. So there is, there is almost no way that they are going to volunteer that information. What I'm going to do, and I've, oh man, I've worked so many guys that have, they're just going to try to manage it. They're Mm -hmm. just going to try to um, white knuckle it. They're just going to try to like, I'm going to stop. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it today. I haven't done it for three days. Woo. And, 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 but eventually because I haven't dealt with the trauma at the root of it, it comes back around.
1: Yeah. People are also afraid of losing their, their kids.
2: Oh Yeah. I mean, I mean, especially
1: if you're a man, I'm just, yeah, sorry about that. But yeah,
2: there's so many consequences, right? And right. there's all these little boogeymen all over. Right. But what, what guys don't realize is that admitting, and, and, and men and women both struggling with right. this addiction, they, they don't realize that, that admitting that this addiction is, is, is present in their life is not the consequence. It is the opportunity to get better and to heal. Um, and so many people have told me that getting discovered was was a was a consequence of their behavior, and I say no, it's not. It's not a, that is the opportunity for you to start the healing process. It's not a consequence. Mm-hmm. That, you know, go for it. So, um, I think some people within this addiction are brave enough to go to their partners and say, "I really need help. I'm really struggling with this," and that's crushing to their mm-hmm. partners. It really is because it feels like such a deep betrayal, some of these behaviors.
1: Right, um, so from a partner's standpoint of view, if someone comes and says that, like you said, maybe they should look at it as an opportunity, which is hard when you're a victim.
2: Yeah, so I think the opportunity end is more for the addict, right? Of right. like, I want to get out from under this. I want to get better. I want to be a better husband or, or a partner. Right, or, yeah. Or, yeah, spouse. Um, I want to live a life, a real right. life, you know? Um, for the partner, there's really no words to describe the devastation of these behaviors. And mm-hmm. most of the time, what I hear is it's the lying. There's been so much lying and 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 um, they don't really know what their reality has been. As long as this addiction has been going on, it's like there's been another person in their relationship that exactly. they weren't aware yeah. of. And um, so, so they're going to immediately start to try to figure out what their reality was. Wait, so you, were you acting out when we were on that trip? Were right. you hooking up with people when we were over here doing this? Or what about this time that you were gone for three days on a business right. trip? And, and so they're going to try to piece their he reality becomes, together. Many
1: times they become an investigator. They just look, 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 look. Yeah.
2: And oh then- yeah. Oh yeah. And, and guys will, will come and they'll, and, and they'll complain during our treatment and they'll say, Oh, she's, she's gone off the rails. She's she's just look, she's just seeing ghosts everywhere. And no, she's searching for safety. She's searching for her reality and she deserves to have that. Right. But um, yeah, mm-hmm. it's PTSD really at mm-hmm. the core, but and we call it betrayal trauma. And when you right. look at brain scans of people that have endured betrayal trauma, they're very similar to wartime veterans. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's emotional bombs okay. um, rather than literal bombs, but the effect on the the brain is very, very similar.
1: Right, right, right. So if as a partner, you find something Mm. um, and you think, you know, my partner's doing a lot of stuff. um, How do you approach them?
2: (laughs) I would, um, I I, I don't know if there's a right way to do this because it's so overwhelming in that moment when that that first discovery happens. That if you come to them in anger and in hurt and and even in rage, like who's going to tell you that you shouldn't respond that way. Um, But what I would say to those partners that are in those initial stages of discovery of the addiction is that this isn't about you this is something that predated your relationship with this person. Mm. And it has more to do with where they are at and their trauma and their uh, own psychology. It's not because you're not good enough. It's not because you're not beautiful. It's not because you don't have sex enough. It's not because you gain weight because you had kids. It's, it's, it's not, not, you didn't cause it. And unfortunately you're not going to be able to fix it. Mm. Um, And um they, these they, people suffering from this addiction need help, and right, um,
1: definitely. And that's good yeah. that you just put it there that the partner cannot fix it. Yeah, 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 because sometimes that you know they get more lingerie, try to find out you know different ways to uh, try to do their best, make themselves you know more available. So as we move on to this next part of, is it fixable?
2: Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, and that's that's the good news. Um, yes. Because what we're dealing with um, is not um, something that causes permanent damage. There is a part of um, there's a part of all of us that predates our trauma.
1: Okay.
2: And we can find that person and we can get to know that person and we can find out who we were before we started pretending, before right. we started performing, before we started thinking that we weren't enough and using sexual behaviors to try to feel Um, the emotions that we wanted to feel and not feel the emotions that we didn't want to feel. There's a person that predated all of that.
1: Right, exactly.
2: And um, you're not permanently damaged because you weren't always like this. And no kid, six, seven-year-old kid wanted to grow up and be a sex addict. They don't, that's not who you are. That's not who you are. Um, These are things that you do. They are not who you are. And when we can get in, And deal with the traumatic roots of why I seek um, safety within these behaviors. And we can alleviate the pressure around those traumas. Um, Guys can find, and and men and women can find tons of success Mm -hmm. in recovery. But just like alcohol, just like drug addiction, this is a lifelong um, commitment to recovery. Um, But you can live a, a, a deep, rich, fulfilling life. Um, and and it is so possible for everyone who is Mm -hmm. seeking it.
1: Okay. So um, I know I hear from some people that um, I don't remember my childhood. So how am I going to be able to fix this when, you know, I don't even remember. Yeah. When all this got started, I just don't remember. it.
2: Yeah. And there's kind of two things going on there. And one is a little bit more therapy woo than the other. So I'll start with the, the therapy <laughs> woo-woo one and we'll move yes. towards the, the, the more grounded one. So the therapy woo-woo version is, hey, there's a part of you that was traumatized, that was hurt, yeah. that was in, in a, a traumatic situation. And that was overwhelming. So my um, within my psyche, so to speak, I've cut off that part of me because that part is holding all of that pain and hurt. So, okay. and I've been doing that for a really, really long time. So that little part, that little kid part of me that was traumatized, I don't really know that person. Right. I've got him kind of shut up in a in mm-hmm. a closet or something over there, and so it feels like I have no memories from that time, but I have just been reflexively um, shoving that kid in the closet. But if through help and guidance, like I can go and unlock that door and Mm -hmm. talk to that kid. And I've seen over and over again, clients who said that very same thing. And and we find all sorts of memories down there, like, you know, mountains of memories. Once we create the safety and um, dig in the right places of be, because, because what's happening there is I'm partially blaming myself for my trauma. So I don't, mm-hmm. I don't even like that. I don't even like that little guy because right. he he, he was a part of that. He didn't run. He didn't fight. He didn't, you know, whatever right. he, he wasn't right. good enough or whatever it is. And I'm taking on the role of my traumatizers, you know, when I do that. So once we lower the volume of all that stuff and allow that kid to kind of come back and speak to us and teach us about what had happened back then. I know this all sounds very like existential, but.
1: But no, but that makes sense. Because a lot of times I hear clients say that, um, oh, they remember a little bit. Um, I should have said no to the person. You know, I should have told someone I, I, yeah. And I'm like, you're six, you're five.
2: Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. what are you going to bring a little kid in here and you're going to start judging him for all of right. his mistakes? Or right. would you be overwhelmed with compassion for that poor kid and what he has right. been through?
1: Right. Helping um, them to look at it at their eyes of how they were at that age.
2: Sure. And the, and the other one is um, a lot of people don't see the painful events in their past as traumatic. Um, and they That's need true. some kind of coaching around that of saying, hey, if that happened to one of your children, right. or if, well, how would you feel about that?
1: Right. Exactly. And they've been
2: involved in minimization and they need right. um, the permission to right. feel um, what they feel about mm-hmm. those things.
1: Yeah, because many times, whether it's um, you know, a parent that did a step parent, uncle, whatever, they don't want to think bad of that person. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes, yeah. I was working with someone recently. Yeah, and um, the person was actually supposed to come to their wedding.
2: <laughs> um,
1: mm. and when we started, we you know talking about all this, they're like, "Whoa!" But yeah, they didn't want to because they don't want to cause drama. Mm. You know what I'm saying? If I start to deal with this, this is going to cause a lot of drama. Yeah. Yes. And yeah. their, their mind and family and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. 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 So let me just push it aside.
2: Sure. And 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 it's so easy as a third party to say, hey, you know, a lot easier than actually doing the work is saying, right. hey, do you know all the chaos and drama that is going on because you're not dealing with it? Exactly. Um, wouldn't it be, you know, your, all of your best efforts have brought you to this place. Maybe try something new um mm-hmm. and see if you can find healing in that relationship instead of continually trying to shove down how you feel about it and it's creating all this like toxicity that's just under the surface that's not helping you at your wedding
1: right you know? definitely. yeah um, so what does treatment actually look like sure um, yes
2: big question right because there's a lots of different types of treatments that will we, that we use. And there are a lot of different types of treatments that are effective for this addiction. But Mm -hmm. one of my favorites is something called brain spotting. Um, Spotting. So I don't know if you've heard of brain spotting, but it's kind of, mm, I wouldn't say new, but it's kind of, it's new to some. Um, So it's a cousin of EMDR. Mm -hmm. So if you're familiar with EMDR, it's a way in which you can access memories that are stored in the midbrain, which is where we store a lot of our memories, especially painful ones.
1: Right. Some and of our unconscious memories.
2: Yeah. And yes. even pre-verbal memories right. too. Uh, so we, we use brain spotting, which is a way of, of utilizing eye position to access memories within the mid mid-brain, midbrain and reprocess them. Mm, so okay. it's a little bit faster than EMDR in the sense mm. that you don't have to set up all of the, The manualization of EMDR. So it works for us because we have a we have a short window with our clients. And then um, it's also effective in long term therapy as well. But it's kind of intuitively true, because I'm sure you've seen this in counseling where somebody's talking about maybe a shameful memory and their eyes are glued to the floor. Right. Or, you know, uh, a, a memory of abuse and and they kind of look up like this right like in a stance of like helplessness or defense
0: mm-hmm.
2: right and the brain is storing memories and it's holding that kind of eye position and, and most of the trauma treatments that we've discovered within the field and within the scientific community they feel really weird but they work mm-hmm. um and emdr is the same way who knew right. that you know looking from left to right over and over again while you're thinking about your trauma could help you deal with it um So it's just one of those techniques that we use to get into the midbrain and allow people to reprocess those memories, to relive those memories with a safer emotional outcome um, with a more mature brain. And uh, it's very supportive. It's very organic. And you can Mm -hmm. use different techniques within um, a brain spotting session like, uh, you know, uh, empty chair work or I talking with the younger yeah. parts of yourself or, or things like that. So we believe that the body wants to heal and you put mm-hmm. the body in the right space and it will take advantage of it. And brain spotting is one of those ways. Another way that we treat this addiction is in community. So okay. uh, sex addiction is by its nature, isolating. Yes. Yeah, I don't, no one else knows about this. And, and I'm kind of, I'm doing a lot of it by myself anyway. And um, I feel cut off. I feel weird. I feel maybe um, ugly in, mm-hmm. in it, within it. And um, it's very isolating. So bringing uh, groups of addicts together in a cohort and working through the material wow. together, I get to fight that lie. If you knew me, you would reject me. Right. And I get to develop empathy skills and emotional awareness skills within that group and build that connection. And um, we're really proud of our treatment model because guys will stay connected and mm-hmm. they'll stay connected for years and they'll go on vacations together and their wives will meet and they'll travel to visit each other and they'll have text chains and, and um, Zoom calls that they all jump on You know, in the cohort. It's a tight cohort because you've told those people things that you thought you were going to take to the grave and you, they didn't reject you. Um, so it's a very big part of the treatment. So we do, we do what we do different types of experiential and um, uh, d- all sorts of different treatments.
1: Yeah. Okay, yeah, I'm glad that you mentioned the brain spotting um, and for our audience to realize that, of course, we have an unconscious mind
2: mm-hmm. that
1: holds a lot of stuff, and even in the sense um, that our body remembers everything. Also, as you, the body keeps score. So, right. using therapies that tap into that. And then the other part of that group effort is phenomenal because, um, so sometimes couples are thinking of, well, um, maybe if I put an app on my phone to stop me from doing X, Y, or Z, and then, um, mm. my partner checks it.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh man, there's so <laughs> yeah. much going on there. Like we, exactly. man, within yeah. that addiction, we want to make the people closest to us the, the, um, you know, policemen of the addiction, you know, um, the prison guard or whatever else. And we just can't do that. It's so triggering for them to check those emails every day and to see, you know, the, the update from whatever software, um, that's ends up in their inbox every morning. And we, we, uh, you know, what I tell partners is your vigilance did not protect them from continuing to act out and it won't moving forward either. They need to want it for themselves. And apps are great, but most guys, if they're serious enough in their addiction, know how to get around that stuff. And it's only buys them a few minutes, maybe a few seconds to, do I really want to do this? And most of the time, if they're really triggered, they're going to do it regardless of if there's an app in the way or not. But what a community support within an addiction um, brings a whole nother uh, element in that, that oh, I'm on this journey together, I have a sponsor, I have a meeting, and I have um, a space where I can go and talk about things that have been triggering to me. I, I have, can go and I have a space where I can be open about what I'm struggling with. And I'm not looping my partner into the daily struggle where she or he has to feel unsafe all of the time, whether I'm acting out or not. Mm-hmm. Um, now, what we say is, you need to tell your partner within 24 hours about a lie or relapse. But other than that, um, you know, try to um, find those accountability relationships outside of your relationship because um, she's not responsible. She's not your mom. He's not your dad to keep you in line um, around this addiction. They're your partner. They're your spouse. Um, And that's a different relationship and, 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 pursue that and in, uh, in that intimacy in a different way you don't want that person being your um, parole officer of your addiction and, and and at the core they don't want to be that either
1: right right because it re-traumatizes them as Every you said time. yes yeah. definitely well, we're going to take a short break and when we come back we're going to talk about um some more about treatment and also on um, how treatment is from a christian perspective or faith-based perspective we'll be back in a few moments If you are listening to this commercial, you have a pulse. If you have a pulse, you have stress. You may need a therapist. How do you find a therapist? Oh, you go to your phone book. Wait, what's that? Go to the World Wide Web. You type in, therapist near me. And then you find a list of acronyms. LMHC, LPC, NCC. (sighs) How on earth do I understand this and navigate this? Go to drkellyboucher.com. Dr. Kelly specializes in helping people that struggle with anxiety, stress, burnout, grief, depression, compassion fatigue, sleep issues, body image issues. You can have help today. Dr. Kelly Welcome back to the Bringing Intimacy Show, where intimacy is real. So today we've been talking about sex addiction. And how it is an intimacy problem, dealing especially with couples and even an intimacy problem with oneself. Mm-hmm. And I have Matthew Winner here to sit and talk about this. And so we've been talking about self and spouse or and partner. And now I know that he does a lot with um, faith-based individuals. And mm-hmm. um, in a faith-based, I think it's a faith-based program, or it's an open
2: So our Begin Again Institute program is um, a clinical based program and Boulder Recovery is a a Christian program where we engage with uh, Christian men who um, see their Christian faith as a core piece of their identity and want to engage in healing and recovery um, through um, their, their experience and relationship with God in concert with solid clinical work.
1: Okay. We have a question from the audience, from a male who is kind of asking basically about that. They feel like, and I'm just summarizing the question here, Mm -hmm. but they feel like if they come out, especially in their faith and they're from a Christian background, that um, they're never going to be forgiven or it's just, you know, it's one of those sins that Mm -hmm. you shouldn't, you know, touch. And how in the world do you get any kind of healing or from, yeah um the stuff that they've been doing
2: yeah and i really feel like um so much of that issue and i mean i really um i really have a, a lot of sadness in my heart for that for that guy and feeling like he can't um tell the truth right to anybody in his life right. or, or or be authentic in, in the places that he wants to be and you know i would tell him and i would tell other guys you know um God uh, sees you for all of who you are, um, and He is not standing there tapping his foot, waiting for you to get it together. Um, in fact, He loves you and has compassion for you and desires healing for you. but but more than that, he he's in in this with you and he is uh, faithful to you, regardless of whether or not you ever, uh, overcome this addiction so right. a lot of christian guys think god is going to love me if god will love me if jesus will like me if i can only get on top of this addiction and the reality is that's, that's not true right. um he has so much love and compassion for you in this and
1: and he that, sees the, everything you know because oh yeah you talked about the trauma that most people have he saw the little boy
2: Yes. And he was there. Yes. And he was there too. And that's so hard. And that's so hard to, to work through with these guys that, that, that Jesus isn't just with you in the times where you feel his presence. He's always been with you, even in the hard times, even in the mistakes, even in the choices that, that you're ashamed of. He was there and he doesn't feel differently about you. And what I'd say to that guy is like, there are people within your life and in your community that will not reflect the gospel to you when you admit that you're struggling with this addiction, Mm -hmm. but that doesn't change the way that God feels about you. And that doesn't, um, preclude the ability for you to get help. Um, when we work with Christian men and this is my passion, um, is to, uh, encourage them in towards a deeper understanding of the gospel because Christian guys think that that Jesus love is for everybody but them mm-hmm. and um and that's just that's just not true and they have theological beliefs that aren't connecting with their life experientially and so we want to help them around that but look there is no greater example of the gospel than when somebody can pursue Jesus within this addiction and find hope and healing. That is the gospel, right? To exactly. open the eyes of the blind and to set the exactly. captives free. And
1: Right, right. Um, and look at what happened with Paul. Yes. Yes.
2: Yes. And so there are going to be people that are not going to be comfortable with you uh, struggling with this addiction and, and, and speaking about it to them. And there's going to be people in your life that, that are going to have a hard time with it. Um, But the people that truly love you and that are reflections of Jesus in your life are going to want you to find healing around this issue.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And even to touch a little bit on that, um, as we mentioned earlier, there are people who are trying to get help and they feel like they're being judged by society.
2: Yeah.
1: How do you deal with that?
2: You know, I, I, I say this to guys, you know, it, that there, you need to find a, some trusted people. You need to find some safe people in your life for you to be able to talk to about this. Okay. Um, and, and right now, culturally, um, it is not a safe thing for you right. to talk about this openly, it, unfortunately. Um, and we're moving in that direction in, in the therapeutic community where it's a more recognized um, right. addiction. But uh, in our culture, broadly, especially Christian culture, this is you're going to lose your job
0: on, right, the, exactly. on the
2: church board. You're going to not be able to serve in the children's ministry because of the misconceptions right. that sexual addiction means that you're just going to act out on everything that moves. And that's just right. not true. And um, so I say find some trusted people in your life. Um, maybe it's just a sponsor, maybe your 12 step group, whatever it is. And be your authentic self in that space, um, and in every space that you really can safely. But, man, printing a T-shirt off and that says, you know, I struggle with sex and porn addiction is not um, a no, good idea.
1: Right, right. And like you said, people do lose things. Um, another question which I, I get a lot uh, from Samantha, who's in New Mexico, she's saying she's seen her husband watching porn a lot, and she's wondering it's porn addiction, sex addiction.
2: Mm. We treat porn and sex addiction. Um, and when, uh, what I tend to say is that when we get down to the nitty gritty, what we're dealing in, this is the topic of your show. This is an intimacy disorder and it shows up in, uh, sexual behaviors like acting out outside your marriage, adultery, um, affairs, strip clubs, escorts and prostitutes, things. Like, and it also shows up in pornography, um, I wouldn't necessarily separate them into two different categories because what it's doing is I'm seeking out sexual behavior, and it's pornography is most often coupled with masturbation mm-hmm. um, to bring that dopamine hit to my brain. And what happens when I do that yes, is I right. kind of get numb. I kind of get high and I can't connect with you. And I I can't because I can't connect with myself.
1: Right, exactly. Um,
2: so what I would say to her is that have a, um, have a careful nuanced conversation with your partner about what it means for you that they are doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's what matters in the coupleship, right? That this, I, you know, I don't know about other couples, but this does not feel right for me. And this is not right. what I want for our marriage. And I think this stuff is between you and I, right. and I really, it kind of hurts me that you're doing this, um, house, you know, um, uh, by yourself and, um, so have that conversation. And if he is willing to change the behavior and you see a marked change in the behavior, then you then can be comforted by that. Or if he doesn't, then you know that you have a bigger issue or just go and see if he'll come with you to a marriage counseling session and you guys can have a safe mediated conversation about these things.
1: Wow. Well, Matthew, you have provided so much information. Thank you so much for being in the show. If people are listening and they want to connect with you or hear about your treatment, can you um, let us know?
2: Yeah. So beginagaininstitute.com or boulderrecovery.com are the ways that you can get in touch with us and um, the treatment that we provide. Um, So we have all of our resources are on those, on those two websites. So Boulder is the city. So B-O-U-L-D-E-R and Begin Again Institute. Um, Those are our our two treatment programs. And we're really proud of, of both of them and, and the success that we've seen with. Okay. with Just
1: curious, clients. um, if people li- listening outside of Colorado, how long are those treatment programs? Um, if you go in person and if, do you guys have online treatment programs?
2: So we're in person and we, it's a two week program and we see people from all over the world, all over the country, and they come and stay with us for two weeks. And, Um, We're doing intensive trauma treatment and uh, psychoeducation eight to 10 hours a day for two weeks. Um, And, and, and guys can make a lot of progress, a lot of progress quickly. If we can stay in the work for those two weeks, that is a little bit uh, beyond what you can achieve in, in once a week kind of therapy, where you kind of get sucked back into your world and all of the crises of your world and And then show up again for another 15 minute session a week later. Um, So some guys lose traction in their work and um, they need, they need deeper help and we're here to help them with that.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much for being on the show. Yes, I really do appreciate it. Um, for our listeners who are out there, just to let you know what's coming up, on July 8th, we have Dr. John Meyer from Hodges University, Education and in Intimacy for Non Traditional Students. Um, July 15th, we have the Whole Man's Chronicles. They're talking about friendship and intimacy. July 29th, we have Jack Beach, Learning How to Love from the Heart. And on August 5th, we have Ashley Cobb, Sex influencing and education. So don't forget to follow us on Bringing Intimacy Back. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. Also, go onto our site. We also have a variety of products that, if you're interested in utilizing or um, needing some more information about counseling, check us out. This has been the Bringing Intimacy Back show. Thank you guys, and I will see you guys next week.